focus has shifted from the proclamation of who Christ is to the promise of what I get out of Christ. We feel the need, the need for praise. Sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth. Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott. Welcome to Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards. We're, I'm here today with Pastor William Shiflett. Uh, pastor William is the pastor of Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh, Virginia, and it's a beautiful spring day here. It is. In, uh, Edinburgh, the pollen count is, I don't know what it is, sky high, so I'm a little stuffed yep, up. So yep. I have a hard enough pronouncing words, hard enough time pronouncing words as it is. We'll see how the day goes. But we hope you are doing well where you are. And of course, we are discussing the uh, book by Dr. Carl Truman uh, entitled The Creedal Imperative. And we encourage you to purchase that book, follow along. Uh, or just read read the book. It, it's an excellent book, as uh, we have said over and over again. And I, Pastor, I'm enjoying this book. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely enjoying this. I know, Pastor, you have a uh, a novel in the works, right? How's that coming coming along? Uh, well, it's uh, been slow because I got uh, so much else going on in, in the spring. You know, you start having yard work, and we've had a busy schedule recently, so. I haven't been, and then of course, the series we're in on Sunday mornings is taking a lot of preparation time. So I haven't uh, had as much uh, time to spend on it, but it's still in the works. I am being able to get some stuff, and it's really coming up on the second end of the second draft. So it's getting there, but right. it's been a very, very busy. We didn't have a cold winter. So uh, I was outside a lot more, right. taking advantage of the warm weather, and then. You just have other stuff going on. Exactly. Well, Pastor William has several other books that you can check out. Uh, go to Amazon and type in uh, William Shiflett, and it'll bring up his books. And uh, I encourage you to get one, two, three. Uh, all the above. Go ahead and get all of them while you're, <laughs> while you're at it. Uh, uh, they're available in paperback and Kindle. Correct. Uh, on there, so check those out. Well, we're in chapter four of the book, uh, The Creedal Imperative, and chapter four is entitled The uh, Classical Protestant Confections. And, Pastor, I don't know about you, but after reading this chapter, I, I feel the need, the need for creeds. <laughs> I almost feel like I bleed the creeds. Right, right. But uh, because I've been studying so much in in uh, Dr. Truman brings out so much about the classical Protestant uh, confessions that have evolved over history. And of course, most of the, uh, when we say Protestants, we look back, most of what we're talking about are the creeds that evolved out of the Reformation, right. um, which started around the uh, mid-1500s. I believe shortly right. after the invention of the printing press. So uh, it's incredible how God weaves things together. It is. Uh, and they're, 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 they are very important uh, concepts. A lot of people don't understand 
confessions. It's unfortunate as I'm growing in my own relationship and understanding this, and I really appreciate uh, people like Dr. Truman and others who are leading the charge, is the point he's making, and again, with these confessions, is how how very ignorant the, the Christians in America, especially, I know that sounds like a that sounds like a critical judgmental statement, but it just if you listen to him talk, if you look at the, the some of the programming that you see the 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 kind of advertising about services. Uh, I got a card a few weeks ago about a, a local revival, and it said proclaiming the message of Pentecost again. And I was struck, there, there is no message of Pentecost. The message is Christ crucified and raised Amen. again for our justification. Pentecost is the power to proclaim the message. Right. It isn't the message. And I, I thought, I was struck immediately by how off base that is. And it, good, quote unquote, good Christian people who love God, I'm not disputing that. Mm-hmm. But the focus has shifted from the proclamation of who Christ is to the uh, promise of what I get out of Christ in, in that in that kind of sense, but it's just another indicator of how shallow our knowledge is in the 21st century church. And one of the quickest ways to remedy that is these creeds and confessions. Dry, drill drill that down. Get it deep in our hearts. What did what did David say? Your word I have hid in my heart so I might not sin against you. And as we're going through in our church, the creeds are scriptural. Right. You're reciting scripture when you do that. We, we're trying to modify and make sure all of our songs are bringing scripture into the worship service because this is how we conquer sin, That's hiding right. the word of God in our hearts. And also how we glorify God right? Uh, as well. Well, I wanted to uh, emphasize to those that may be watching, uh, we are emphasizing the need for creeds, but the the need for creeds doesn't override or 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 uh, rise above the need for Christ. Right. It uh, the need for creeds that does that not undergird the need for Christ. Well, it reminds us who it is that we need. Right. You know, people, this, this again goes to what, what we have a lot of people that say, I believe in God. But what do you believe about God? And they say, well, I believe in Jesus. But what do you believe about Jesus? Right. I, I've had time, a little bit of time recently spent with a man who doesn't refer to Jesus. He refers to the man upstairs. Yeah. And that's, that's a, I know it's a, I know it's a, a, a phrase that we use in our culture. But he isn't the man upstairs. It it it, it is God, the God Man, right. Jesus Christ. And I, and I just think that some people they don't have that. I don't want to be overly critical. And and let me just say this for the folks: I don't be overly critical or legalistic or say if you use that phrase at all, you uh, have done something wrong. My point is that as witnesses in a culture that knows nothing about God. We need to make really sure that we are talking about him in biblical terms. That's what I mean by that. Because we cannot help people that, that we, there's, there are a lot of Christian people that just assume, and I'll give you an illustration if you'll allow me. A lot of Christian people that just assume everybody out there knows something about the Christian faith and they believe. Mm-hmm. So Bev Coker uh, told me the other week she was down at the nursing home with her dad. 
and her dad was with us on Easter Sunday, and he had a John 3.16 hat. Mm-hmm. He's sitting at the table at the nursing home with this other man about this uh, 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 about that age, perhaps. And the guy points to the hat and says, what is that? He did not. And Bev had to explain John 3.16. The wow. man did not know what John 3.16 stood for and represented. Wow. And that's the degree of ignorance in our culture today. And as Christians, we have to do more than just throw out John 3.16. Right. Uh, and, and that's the purpose of, of the hat, John 3.16. Maybe somebody looks at it and says, what does that mean? But many people of our generation assume everybody knows what John 3.16 means. Mm-hmm. You, you turn on the football game and there's a guy holding a sign up, John 3.16. I know what it means, but how many of the people in that stadium have any clue what that means? Right. Uh, maybe they think he's talking about John, one of the ball players whose birthday was three sixteen. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? That's the kind of stuff that 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 the creeds and the confessions get us back to a place where we really, where the average Christian sitting in the average pew in the average church on the average Sunday knows fully what he or she believes. That's right. that's what they provide. Well, you were talking about John uh, three sixteen, and, and when we think about sharing the gospel or, or giving out the gospel. That's kind of like the go-to verse that most people run to. But pastor, when, when uh, churches gather together on the Lord's day and, uh, for worship and they recite the creeds, is that not like saying, here is the gospel? Yeah, here's the gospel. In fact, if you think about that, uh, if you let us go to the book of Acts. And just touched on, well, we just started a Wednesday night series that I dealt with this last week. Uh, and I did touch on it Sunday morning as well, that there's a passage where Paul says, you shouldn't be worshiping that God. You should be worshiping the God who created heaven and earth. Now, what is Paul doing? He's sharing the gospel. Right. And the gospel begins with a God who, because he created heaven and earth, mm-hmm. is the Lord of those things and the only hope we have for salvation. So, yeah, this is why the the, the ancient creeds, the Nicene Apostles' Creed uh, specifically, both begin with, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker mm-hmm. of heaven and earth. That's where, it, that's where it begins. And then you go in, and in his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who was who suffered under Pontius Pilate, born of uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. It it is the gospel involves this idea uh, of God. If we don't have the concept of creation and fall, there is no purpose for the gospel. Mm-hmm. See, so it's all in there together. And yes, when we recite the creeds, there there is the proclamation of the gospel, unless it's, unless it's one that Dr. Truman refers to earlier in the book, where you just made it up on your own, and it's more of a mission statement, uh, and a mission statement is good and fine if you have a if you have staff and you want to have a mission statement, but that's not the proclamation of the gospel. That is not, as Paul says in, in Colossians, uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speak the word of God over each other, in other words. We do that through the creeds. We do that through singing as well. But the creeds and confessions are a a, a summarized form of the gospel, a reminder of what we believe, why we believe it. It, it, it's, it really comes down to that. Right. Well, Dr. Tuman writes about the fragmentation of the church um, in the 
1600s, 15, I guess starting in the 1500s and running into the 1600s. Is this fragmentation mainly uh, the result of the Reformation or is are other factors involved? Uh, uh, well, of course, anytime you have human beings uh, pursuing a goal, you're going to have differences of opinion that result in people going off on different tracks. Uh, sometimes it's very petty. We know this in our culture today. A lot of church splits are people leave the church over the most the most frivolous reasons. You just mm-hmm. your mouth hangs open. You say what you left a good church for that. Uh, but in that culture, uh, the 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 first fragmentation was between the uh, Catholic Church and what be, the what we now call the Roman Catholic Church and the and the reformers over the issues of the centrality of Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm in the fourth book of the five solas. Uh, I had the, I had Christ alone and faith alone for years. And I thought I'm going to reread those. And then I, I, I ordered the other three and that's uh, to God's glory alone and grace alone, which also was written by Dr. Truman. And then I have, it, uh, it's coming in sometime, maybe today, uh, God's word alone. Mm-hmm. And the reformers stressed that the Catholic Church had drifted off track and was not Christ alone anymore. Mm-hmm. This was the fundamental thing, not grace alone anymore. So you had that fragmentation. Then you have some degree of fragmentation among the reformers. Uh, Swingley and Luther could not agree on communion. They got down to that one thing about the presence of Christ. So, yes, there has been fragmentation. Some of it was over legitimate. We just can't get around this issue. This is the way we see it. We have the same thing today with end times stuff where this group says we believe it this way and they right. believe it that way. But those issues are not as, as severe as the ones that separated the Catholics from the Protestants. And then the other thing that he makes, that Dr. Truman brings out and not everyone would be enthusiastic about this, but you cannot ignore the history of the world at that time that was influencing some of these concerns. Right. He, he makes the point about the uh, uh, the Synod of, of Dort, where the focus was on making sure uh, we didn't slip back into the Catholic influences because France and Spain were heavily Catholic and, of course, still are today. Right. So so there is some of that. And then you get into the power struggles in England. But so there, there has been fragmentation. Fortunately, most of it uh, today, uh, or I should maybe not most of, a lot of the fragmentation we see today hinges on uh, secondary issues like church government uh, and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um where in the, in the early period where the fragmentation occurred, it was over significant issues. Now, it really is important. We don't have time maybe to plow through it as much as we'd like, but a lot of people condemn Christians because there's such division. You have these churches and that church and this church and that church. Um, many times that's a matter of, of a... Uh, there can be uh, there's lots of other things going on there that have nothing to do with the denomination. Unfortunately, in the 21st century, you can have a Baptist church on this corner and one down at that corner, and they're both preaching something different. 
you know, but, and I would argue this is because we've lost our history. We've lost the, the idea of the confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, there has been fragmentation. It's unfortunate. It is not to the extent the Catholics like to say, the Catholics like to say there's something like 30,000 denominations. They, they, one prediction the Roman Catholics made was that the Reformation would end up with all kinds of churches. Mm-hmm. And that's been an unfortunate side effect. But we cannot ignore the errors of the Catholic Church. Right. You know, so yeah, there has been fragmentation. Well, one thing we uh, probably need to remind our viewers and maybe ourselves as, as we go through this discussion is we live in a whole lot uh, different culture and time period, of course, uh, that's kind of redundant, than the 1500s and the 1600s. Information moves yeah. at a different pace. Uh, we live in a day and age that uh, news and information travels at the speed of your internet provider. And yours is probably a whole lot faster than mine. Uh, Mine lags a little bit. But in the 15 and 1600s, things were a bit different, weren't? Uh, Now, how how did churches operate during that time period as far as uh, well, inform- relaying information from church to church. Well, one one thing it w- would happen is that it would be much, as you're saying, much slower. But what slow allows today, slow would be considered uh, a, a hindrance. But slow means I have time to think about it. Right. I have time to weigh it out. You know, we have we live in as you said the information age where we get we get the news so quickly we learn later it wasn't true mm-hmm. they start reporting things before they get their facts right that was less likely to happen in in those in those periods but the people were accustomed into really thinking through when they heard something they didn't just say oh well that's right or that's wrong they really thought it through and i i've learned this in my own experience uh, right now where the importance of that in my in my own ministry so some of the fragmentation was today would be a result of that kind of too much information too fast, mm-hmm. where they had to really take it a lot slower and absorb it. Uh, you know, M- Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church. Because that's the only way you get the word <laughs> out. Right. You know, people would go to those kind of places and they would they would read the the things that had been posted. We right. we have bulletin boards today. Right. They serve the same purpose. Most people don't don't bother to, to go by the bulletin board. Mm-hmm. But but there was that. Uh, that's one of the big differences between then and now. Yeah, I guess if Martin Luther was alive today, he he would be posting it on his uh, social media yeah. <laughs> rather than nailing, actually physically nailing yeah. it to the right. door. Uh, at times of change, but yeah. but human beings in the necessity of Christ, of course, has not It's changed. not changed. No, it's uh, not changed. Not one. And, and America is, is really, uh, we, we Americans tend to think we are the best country in the face of the earth and always have been. In many ways, we might make that argument. I don't believe that's true with the church. There's too much individualism. I, I don't. I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to start my own church. And we have this mm-hmm. happen. We right. have this happen where men who who really are not qualified by their moral living standards go out and start a church mm-hmm. and to get a following. Uh, 
So uh, th- this is another thing that was different in those days. The church was a central place. You had a structure of leadership. It was respected. It was recognized. Uh, there was a value to the man of God. In that day, and, and Dr. Truman brings this out, and we touch on it later, so again, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but the idea of having people that really knew what they were talking about, not just some fly-by-night that says, I'm, I'm going to hang up my shingle, and we're starting a church, mm-hmm. and you get a, you get a crowd of followers that are following a person rather than a, than a principle right. of truth. It happens way too much in America. Today. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, and I think you kind of touched on this a little bit this past Sunday in your, in your message that, uh, we live in what some have called the information age. We're bombarded, uh, everywhere we go with information. Um, the people in the 1600s, of course, it was different as we just uh, have been talking about. But a lot of times we look, we have, might have the tendency to look at people uh, that lived during the 15 and 1600s as being less intelligent. Right. Is that true? No, it's not true. That is one of the glaring, you know, every, every age has its blind spots. And this is one that we have is the idea that because we know so much, nobody else knew anything before we got here. Right. We are getting our information faster. It is certainly true that we have information they did not have, but it is not true that they were complete idiots. They Mm -hmm. really knew a lot. And it's like I said the week before, Galen, uh, first, uh, born in the year 129 and all the medical and today 2000 years later he's still having an influence because he had insights that went way ahead of, t- of time uh, so they weren't ignorant people and of course when you're abiding by the same rule which is the word of god then you're 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 within a boundary that you can explore and talk about that and so their knowledge of God's word and, and of human beings and of our sinfulness and our fallenness, all none of that has changed. We have a lot more information about space and about disease and about medicine that they did not have, but they were not they were not cavemen. They were not Neanderthals. And I think there are a lot of people today that that they they kind of believe their their viewpoints were limited in 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 everything and not just in some things as we know to be the case today. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I look back and when I read some of the uh, church fathers, uh, it just astounds me at the intelligence of the, these men and that they were able to get together and put, put together their writings and, and uh, formulate things like, like the creeds. We, we struggle now, you know, you go to a church conference and they discuss about whether uh, discussions a lot of times are, are whether uh, a man be- can become a right. woman. Well, I mean, yeah. just yeah. nonsense, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, and these guys, uh, these guys had a grasp right. on the word of God that uh, I just look back at and, and I long for yeah. the, the grasp that. Yeah, well, and it it was because they were committed to 
the Word of God, as truth, as unchanging truth. And there's so much of what goes on today has a view of, yeah, it's a good book, but it's not, you know, it's not. And that, that, that's the first, uh, that is the, f- the first, uh, stumbling block, I guess I'm trying to say about the, today. We look at the Bible and we say, well, we know so much more than they knew. So the Bible must be wrong about this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. And of course, with, with respect to the human condition, it is not wrong. And therefore, only God's solution to the human condition will help. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing all kinds of things under the guise of finding a solution to people's brokenness. But it's not going to work because we're rejecting, we're rejecting God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just reading Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a, a, a Russian dissident, was imprisoned in Russia and had witnessed the, the catastrophe of the Soviet communist regime said this is happening because men have forgotten God. And we see the same things happening in our culture today. Mm-hmm. So no, they were not though they were not ignorant. They were very intelligent and very thoughtful about the Word of God. And that's what we've lost in our culture today. Right. Well Dr. Schumann touched on the politics as well and he said uh, during the the creeds were form- formulated in a time where the, uh, there was kind of like a mixture of theology and politics in in the regional politics in the churches, regional churches. How did that affect and come into to play in the formulation of the of the creeds? Well, we, we today we we're not we don't we don't have a lot of that understanding because of the the, the way our democracy works. Right. But in that time when you had all those little nations of Europe. And they've always been, you know, it's one of those unique things. They're they're all there. They've been there for centuries. They're still uh, Russians and Germans and Italians and and Swiss and French and Belgians. They're all different, and they all have their 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 focus. So you had the influence of the uh, uh, the Roman emperor. Uh, you had the you had the influence of the pope. And then there was there's what we call was called the Holy Roman Emperor, and uh, Charles V was one of those guys. Charlemagne, some of those guys. Again, this is history that a lot of people, but there was real power invested in those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it a little bit in England with Henry VIII, because under England's form of government, the king or queen is still head of the church, right? Even today, right? Uh, so. Uh, we just we don't have an understanding, but it did play a part in that the churches had to be mindful of how the politics would affect uh, their ability to convey what they believed. Right. Okay. Now, for those who are watching and thinking oh, that's just silly, we fight the same battle in America today because how many times do we go out and vote for a candidate who says, "I'm going to bring God back. I'm going to get America back on track." Mm-hmm. There's still that political. Uh, dimension that we have to make sure we have to guard that we don't bring it too much into the church because then the church becomes an arm of the state rather than a, uh, and I don't want to say an adversary or an antagonist to the state. We work within the state. Paul says, obey the, those that have power are ordained of God, but we do uh, speak as a, a contrary voice to the state. And when the state says, do this, and it's contrary to God's word, we say, no, no. 
So, so it isn't that it isn't that odd, except that in those monarchical kingdoms, the king was the voice of authority, and you had to work you had to work within him. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think Dr. Truman dealt with this some earlier with respect to the uh, Council of Nicaea. Uh, Constantine was the emperor of Rome, and some of his motivation for calling the Council of Nicaea was the division in the church that threatened the empire, you see. So so there's always been that political aspect of it that we as Christians must, must always be on guard against too much political involvement. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we when we go overboard with it, there is a you know there is a sense we have to work together. But when you go overboard with it, it soon becomes gives the impression that the, the that the message of the kingdom and the message of America are one and the same, and right. they're not. Not they're at not. all. Not at all. And uh, well, as we look back at uh, the emerging church. Uh, during that time, uh, we we see the mixture of theology and politics, uh, as always, can be either a good thing or a bad right. thing. And uh, we see the good things that emerge out of it with uh, Henry VIII, with his kind of break with the Roman Catholic Church and forming the Anglican uh, Church or the Church of England. And uh, then... Literally, uh, a little later on, we see, of course, uh, King James, uh, James I, who um, started uh, a, a different translation or a state, I guess a state of England, a Church of England translation, which is the uh, authorized version of the King James uh, translation of the Bible. So a lot of good things have come out of it, and uh, we can look back probably and talk about some of the bad things as well, but let's focus on the good uh, today. Moving on uh, just a little bit, how, how do you think the um, confession in the creeds of this particular era influenced the theological debate and thought of that time? Uh, well, I think... I, the way I would say that it influenced the thought was to keep the people's faith centralized in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that is a little, it's a little complex, it's a little bit of a, you know, which came first, chicken or the eggs? Which came first, the confessions or the scriptures, the, the conditions which required the confessions? So mm-hmm. you go back to the early church, they didn't have the creeds because they didn't need them. Uh, everybody that came to Christ believed this. As they heard the gospel, it was as the church began to grow and then people began to challenge certain things that the church believed and taught that the creeds had to be formulated. So the, the, the cultural issues rise sometimes to where we have to come back to the word and say, OK, what does the word of God say about this? And and then we formulate that statement. And this has happened numerous times, even in our own own period. I would cite the. Uh, Chicago statement on inerrancy. I think it was 1975. That was Mm -hmm. a big uh, ecumenical move to say the Bible is without error. Um, So you have these kind of things. But in that Reformation period, I see these confessions more as reminding people what this 
what is it we believe and why do we believe it? And, and stressing the importance, the importance of that. I believe this because. Mm-hmm. I believe that because. Um, I just, I th- I'm afraid there are a lot of people who say, I believe, period. Mm-hmm. And they can't say why because. they believe it. And this is what the, the confession, so, so I would say the, the confessions influence the church in holding to its uh, doctrinal moorings. And I think you could document this by just looking at the churches today who don't have any sort of confession, who have no connection with these creeds or confessions. Compare those to uh, the churches that don't have it to the churches that do. Mm-hmm. And not in size. Let's see. Uh, not not in not in size, because they'll say, "Well, this this denomination has you know twenty million members." Mm-hmm. Well, not talking about the size of the church, but the quality of their doctrinal emphasis, the depth of their spiritual life as it's drawn out of Scripture. And I think if you make a comparison between the churches that don't have any sort of confessional heritage and the ones that do, you will find a world of difference between them mm-hmm. because the, the the shift has gone to we go to church because we have things we want God to do for us. We go to church because we want to impress God with our goodness versus we go to church because we're desperate sinners who need to be cleansed and reminded of the price Christ paid for our redemption and surrender our lives to him. The creeds do that. I, I, and again, we, we, you, we're, the folks are listening to a pastor from a background where you didn't have those creeds. We never recited those things. Mm-hmm. And now as I see the creeds and we, we go through them and we say these things, I realize how much I didn't know. And how easy it is to slip into this is about us. You know, you go into some churches today, and this is the way the service starts. Uh, How many of you have a prayer request this morning? From the get-go, it's about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's let's invite God into it with our praise and our worship. And what's the goal of inviting him in? So he'll be nice to us and give us everything we want. He'll prosper us. He'll heal us. The creed... The beginning of the service with a creedal confession says, basically, we're here for God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Go down that list and talk about who God is from the from the word go. And then the music talks about God. The prayer talks about God. There is just a, a huge difference, I think. And I believe that that's what these confessions did then and have the power of doing now. And I think that's the whole driving focus of Dr. Truman's book. We've got to get back to these foundational beliefs and and drill them into our our children, our grandchildren, our church members, so that they know this is what we believe. This connects us to the ancient church. This takes us back to the apostles. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.